But if we think about it, you know, it's not just COVID. It was always like that. No one can predict the future. So there is always a level of risks, but not just for entrepreneurs, for everyone, really, you know, even if you are um, an employee. But also things change because you are shaped by your experiences and uh, every day, really. And there was this other book that I'm reading um, these days. Um, it's called La Via della Leggerezza, which means the way to lightness. At some point, you talk about this picture of the tree. And so the branches are our projects, our family, um, and the, the leaves on, on those branches are really seeing light. They get inspirations, ideas that can prosper, they thrive. And then there are those leaves that are, they uh, fell down and they are by the base of the, of the trunk, right? And we, we, those are the projects that didn't work, that we often refer to as failures. But those are also really important and they create the fertile ground to grow. And just by having the fallen, the fallen, tree, the fallen um, leaves, we can really grow and prosper. So they are also really important. Welcome to the Happy Entrepreneur Podcast. This is a podcast for people who look at business differently. It's for founders, freelancers, change makers, and freedom seekers who want to make money, do good, and be happy. We choose the path of the happy entrepreneur not to get rich, but to express ourselves and serve others in the most authentic way we can. Many of us couldn't find our role by working for others, and so we chose to work for ourselves. We took the more uncertain path, not because we wanted to, but because we needed to. We value learning, play, and friendship, and we have a need to make a meaningful impact in the world. By following the path of the happy entrepreneur, we learn as much about ourselves as we do about business. On this podcast, I have conversations with other happy entrepreneurs from different walks of life, industries, and countries. We talk about the journey and about what we learned about ourselves along the way. For us, entrepreneurship isn't just a way to make money, but a journey of self-discovery and growth. If you're on the same path and are looking for inspiration and connection, then this podcast is for you. When setting out on the journey of building a totally new business, it's important to focus on making progress rather than seeking perfection. You're a pioneer doing something that hasn't been done before, and so there's no set template for success. You're on a voyage of discovery that can take you down many dead ends. Luckily, we have tools to help us explore what works, such as design thinking, customer development, and the lean startup. These tools help us discover the problems worth solving and iterate towards the best solutions. However, while it's important to find problem-solution fit and then product-market fit, we also need to keep an eye on product founder fit. As our business ideas evolve, we, as founders, also evolve along the way. As we discover what the market wants, we also discover what we want and don't want, which is also foundational to the success and sustainability of the businesses we create. If we don't build a business that aligns with our own personal needs, we can end up following a path based on other people's definitions of success. We then run the risk of building a successful business that makes us feel tired, trapped and tense. The opposite 
of being a happy entrepreneur. In this episode of the podcast, I talk to Veronica Fosser, founder of We Factory. She shares the story of her six-year journey of building her business and why closing it this year made perfect sense for her. If you're a business owner struggling with meeting the expectations of what successful businesses should be, then I hope this story will give you the courage and inspiration to rethink the direction you're going in. Enjoy. First, thank you so much for the invitation to talk to you. It's always a pleasure. And I'm also really happy that we got to connect once I shared that I I decided to close my business of six years with factories. So um, to start with, my name is Veronica Fosta and I'm originally from the Northeast of Italy. I consider myself a citizen of the world and I've lived in seven, eight countries. Um, all, most of the countries in most of uh, the countries are in the north, in the north of Europe, but I've also um, lived in Russia and the Baltic countries too, and the UK as well. So, um, so I've run this business for six years, and in the last um, few years of that business, I described myself as a workplace eating designer and strategist. And if you don't know what that means, I actually made it up myself <laughs> because um, it was something that didn't exist. That took me a lot of, long time to um, to find people who were doing something similar. And um, just to give you like a short idea of what my business was, I I was um, I was basically in the business of helping companies create the context and the conversation and the environment for people to eat better at work. And so I had identified that many people were having that bad habit of um, eating at their desk, which is a terminology actually, uh, which is, uh, it's called desktop dining. dining. And uh, so many of my friends and people I have met complained about that. You know, we are spending one third of our life at work. Um, we are spending eight hours at work. So it's one third of our day as well. And um, we're spending a lot of time with people that we are working with, especially like in the pre, pre-COVID um, work life experience where we used to go to the office and so on. But in many situations, the lunch break, the coffee break wasn't taught through. And, uh, you know, it's, um, as humans, it's one of the basic of the most common experiences we have. Like we used to gather with our families, we used to uh, party with our friends, we used to celebrate over food. And I thought that was, that we need to bring that habit into the workplace too, and just to eradicate that, um, that habit of desktop dining, which is so much, you know, a result of the third industrial revolution and so that's what i did in my business in the last um, part of it is the second you know because obviously like i started my business six years ago and then i went through um, a pivot at some point um and so that that was it and um, about a, a few months ago i decided to end that project um and that was obviously like a big decision for me so at the moment, obviously, you know, um, you just, I very much identified with that uh, to the point, of course, of, you know, describing myself as a workplace eating designer and strategist. And all of a sudden, when you're not that anymore, when you're not 
that business, you start asking yourself, who are you? What are you doing now? A lot of people are asking you like, so what's next for you? And that's a question that I always hated. Um, and it's a question that everyone asks, right? All the time when they ask like, so you are now graduate, what are you gonna do? Um, and in the beginning, I was really stressed out, to be honest. I thought I would change completely, but you can't figure out something just overnight. And, um, and just lately, I've decided to take a different approach. So to um, inspired by the book, Designing Your Life by Bill Burnett and Dave Evans, uh, which use a design thinking approach to design the life, a meaningful life. I've uh, decided to experiment and test. So I have a few um, assumptions that I want to test, a few career paths. One of those is that I want to bring my work that I, that I did with WeFactory, but just like broaden it up. So starting from food, just to focus, to have more of an holistic approach. Because obviously food is something, but uh, it, it's also about connection, it's about conversation, it's about gathering, um, and just to explore that part too, and um, help companies with employer branding storytelling. So extrapolate like stories that are more, um, human about the type of cultures they have. So that's one, one strand that I want to explore. And then also, you know, I was really surprised when I, when I shared the decision of closing my business, I really opened up and so many people reached out to me. It was the most successful newsletter you know, in terms of openings. Um, and I think it was because I really opened up and, you know, when I think about the most um, remarkable and, and memorable times in my business where, where when I really opened up, when I was really vulnerable and shared some experiences where I felt like, um, where I, I felt really vulnerable and I felt that people could connect to it. So that's also another path that I would like to explore and so like create space for people to open up and and connect with me well so much there so much there <laughs> we can uh, we can pull on um i think one of the first things i'd like to uh to maybe just talk about is this uh the contrast between a linear and an emergent journey um and i want to take it back first to the the journey of we factory Mm -hmm. um because it's one of those things that i think it it it's um you can't say it enough for particularly for new entrepreneurs this idea of not assuming too much and the way i put it is like the idea you start off with rarely be ends up being the idea you you actually work with um and so to illustrate that it would be nice to just hear a bit more about the story of what you thought we factory was going to be at the beginning mm -hmm. what it ended up being and what is it that you know you talk about the idea of pivoting maybe illustrating what that really really meant to you and how you how you followed that path without freaking out that it wasn't the thing that you thought was at the beginning <laughs> yeah sure that's a great question and you know it's funny that at the beginning when I decided, so I decided to start with fact, we factory because I couldn't find the job I wanted. And, 
And at the time I used to live in Helsinki and I was uh, involved in a number of uh, food related projects. So approaching food from a service perspective and from a um, way to engage the community and make the community better. So it was a really new idea. And I was, um, so before starting with Factory, I applied to a European program called Erasmus for Young Entrepreneurs. And I looked out for businesses where I wanted to gain experience. And the, the idea for this program was that you were, so the prospective entrepreneur was going to gain experience and at the same time also mentorship from the navigated entrepreneur. And I ended up moving to Copenhagen and where I worked for a, a food experience, um, for a food design agency, food experience agency. And when I, you know, around Europe, there were a few of those agencies, but they were really small, like one or two people, and they were not hiring people. So when I, I decided to move back to Helsinki and I saw a need for that, I mean, my original idea was to create pop-up dinners and events in different contexts workplaces were already there but it wasn't the main idea at that time where people would come together i would facilitate the conversation i would also create um the menu and the right environment for them to overcome challenges to talk about um specific topic so the idea was really like create theme um events and dinners and breakfast and the funny thing is that when I decided to start the company, I had to write a business plan mm. to, in order to get funds from, uh, from the city of Helsinki. And I remember like my business plan was 40 pages. It wasn't, you know, it was something that I had done before because I, I have a degree in management and economics. So it wasn't something like, you know, so crazy, but it was very, <laughs> I mean, I never used it. So it was just like a tool that I needed for me to get funds in the beginning, but I never used it because, um, you know, the idea was so new and so fresh at that time that I wasn't even able to find like the right code to frame my business, you know, so I was in something like, I don't know, cultural activities or something like that. And, and in the beginning, I just, I just started like releasing some events um, I worked with a, with a few music festivals in the Nordic countries, in Iceland and Denmark. And then pretty quickly, I, because I, you know, as I said earlier, I lived in different places and I had a network like all over Europe. People were interested in what I did and they started inviting me at events to speak um, about my projects in Helsinki. And quite soon I understood that I didn't want to live in Helsinki anymore. So, you know, a few months after starting this business and this whole thing that was based in Helsinki, uh, connected to the um, uh, Finnish like, startup ecosystem was completely over. And for a few months, I decided to uh, travel and to do my work while traveling. Um, so I spent a few months in Moscow, did a few projects there, and then I decided to relocate to Italy, like to my, to my hometown. And things obviously, like all of a sudden, I didn't have that urban forward thinking crowd that I used to have in Helsinki. And so I had to change. But um, when I returned to Italy, people were really interested because I had spent like six years abroad, especially like in the Nordic countries, and Italians love uh, Scandinavia and they're like it's a perfect world with the welfare and everything 
and they so at that time I was hired to teach food experience design at university so in the master in um, uh, food design in Milan where I could really you know apply what I've done in my business in a more like theoretically teach it, teach it in a more uh, theoretical theoretical way um, and I used to like work with a few conferences it was more like a remote and so I would just produce events and then just travel on location for the for the conference um, what changed and I'm leading, like now moving to the first um, pivot was a project that I did for a network of kindergartens in the north of Italy so I was asked to redesign the food uh, the food service in this network they had a, so they were about 20 kindergartens all with different situations somewhere they had an in-house kitchen some day some didn't um, and through that project which was like a um, co-design kind of project where I used like many tools of service design I understood that I could really impact the culture because obviously you know all of a sudden all these people involved in the food preparation and food service which were like the cooks the teachers the janitors we are working together for the first time and really trying to solve the same issues that they had um, and that was really like that really was a aha kind of moment for me you know um in my in my experience traveling working different for different companies in different environments i always had that um there was always something that didn't work for me very much which was this idea that i was creating food experiences to celebrate something kind of exceptional while the ordinary like the everyday was not even considered and so for us like working in food in food production in food events we were like running 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 it was a very stressful kind of environment to be able to serve those people who were coming for dinner but no one was taking care of us we weren't taking care of ourselves and so that was the big like change and the decision to um to shift and focus to the workplace environment and of course like i i recall very i recall many um experiences i had like since i was um 17 and it was just very natural you know that pivot i would at that time i didn't call it a pivot i didn't even know the word pivot i think i just it just it was just a natural shift because um, in this, in those six years, like when I started my business, I was 26 and I lived in a country, I was a certain person. And I think we really change every day. And I really, the business changed with me too. Um, and there was, it was just very natural. I thought, let's see, let's figure out whether this could be interesting. And I must say it took a while because I didn't have the language to explain what I was doing. I also didn't have the language um, to convince people to buy like to buy my services because i didn't even know at that time you know who's the right target i thought in the beginning that the right target were employees but in the end they were um those people working as hr managers uh employee experience managers and it took a it took a while you know to to get there um and to really get the right messaging so that's why at some point i really came up with my own terminology to be able to describe what I was doing, who I was helping and who I wanted to connect. Wow. That's, uh, 
It's fascinating uh, evolution, not only at the business level, but it sounds like at the personal level and the, the geographic level. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I think, in kind of startup theory, it's about you know experimenting to find product market fit as well as well first problem solution fit and product market fit and then scale it. While it's uh, they they have this element of uh, discovery baked into it, it still feels quite linear. And mm-hmm. I think the thing that it misses out and what's illustrated by your story is this idea of product founder fit and how the founder evolves and grows and, and, and what they want to create and what gives them passion and energy or excitement may change over time. So there's that, that other level of complexity that I think it would be useful for people to bear in mind when they're trying to start their business or grow their business and evolve. And if something isn't working, isn't might not necessarily just be about the product and the market also might be the energy that they're bringing to the business. Um, The other aspect I think be curious to talk about, you know, you said around this use of uh, designing food experiences to, to what it sounded like is to, to foster better culture within organizations and to really look at the people who are working, uh, not just the ones who are benefiting from the, the experience, but the people who are actually creating the experience. There's this aspect of, you said it was so new, uh, the need to educate mm-hmm. the customer in a sense. And this is one of the things I think many people forget that, you know, if you're building something that already more or less exists and people know about, then it's, you know, there's of course the sales and marketing challenge. But if this is something completely new, then there's a longer journey because there's an education part of it. I don't know if there's anything that you could share about your experience of, you know, essentially taking people from understanding what you're selling to then actually trusting that they'll buy it off of you. And then at the same time, you're saying, finding out who is the customer and who's the beneficiary. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, in my situation, I would, you know, I, uh, when I pivoted to focus on the workplace experience, um, I had, it was the right time for me to start a blog and to blog regularly. So before that, I didn't, it wasn't like, you know, in my mind, I've been blogging, but not really um, with a goal in mind or um or something like very, very specific. I just blocked for personal reason. But at that moment, when I started this thing that was so new, was, uh, so new and people um, didn't know what it was, one, of, like, one thing I did was, um, as I said, like figuring out language. And uh, I did a lot of research. I checked out uh, academic paper. And then I also did um, really in-depth research, and I used LinkedIn for that, to find people you know, who are doing something similar. Because the question for me was like, does, it, does this even exist? You know, for a while I thought, are people willing to pay me to do this? And that was a big question, two big questions actually. Um, and so in the beginning, I, I remember I had this series on my blog called Workplace Wisdom, where I interviewed people who were doing, were like workplace innovators. And there was like, the focus was food 
but not so I also talked about different things like um, intercultural exchanges and then well-being in the workplace connected like not um, 100% food but, but connected to it um, and then at some point I um, ended that series and I decided to launch a podcast which is uh, it's called the nourishing workplace where I interviewed people who had a similar role inside companies uh, for example like at Airbnb uh, at Canva uh, people who are working like as uh, food program managers uh, as head of vibes like they all have different names and so it was also like it was it took me a long time to find them um, but then so one part was like interviewing them and sharing their work and just telling people like, hey, this exists, this exists in this company, this exists in this other company. And also that allowed me to gain a better understanding of the context which facilitated um, that kind of experience or that role. And then also I shared a lot of what I've, what I've learned myself and how I envisioned a service like that inside a company. Um, and I also evolved like my services along the way. So I had one that was, um, I had some kind of audit for companies. So I would come into the company and see how they were doing, how they were doing their uh, food experience for their employees. And so I would look, for example, at, uh, automatic machines, what type of food they were, snacks and drinks they were offering, but also um, the environment where people had food, the type of habits they had. Um, and so it was a really in-depth analysis that allowed them to um, understand how they were doing. I would give some tips and then they could implement or change a few things by themselves or get me as a uh, workplace eating designer in residence. Um, and many times I also just spoke and gave talks to both businesses, companies and individuals about all of these and the importance of eating well, the importance of taking the time uh, for yourself to eat. Because um, I think it's also important to, I mean, you don't always want to share food with other people, right? Uh, sometimes you don't have the right schedule to do that. So why don't you enjoy it for yourself? It's a really like, it's a moment of, um, it can be a moment for self-pleasure, but also just to take some time for yourself and to take care of yourself. So that was a, a bit of, you know, the um, educational part. I've also created different like um, eBooks and templates for people to uh, do all of that. And I think, you know, um, when you start something new, you are the pioneer and you get so many no's and so many people tell you this doesn't exist. We don't need anything like I, I had so many of those, you know, or people were really interested and then they were not willing to pay for it. Um, but I think unfortunately it's the, it's the, the cons of being of being a pioneer. Obviously, like in some years time, maybe it would be easier for others who are approaching this topic. Um, and, you know, it's, it's funny because also when you start blogging, it takes time to uh, position yourself. Like I invested like a lot of resources and time on 
um, crafting or, or becoming better at writing and learning about SEO and so on. Um, and now when I, when I decided to close with Factory, I still had people who reached out and said, I want to interview you for this, I'm writing this thesis, or um, I want to be a guest blogger on your, on your blog. And, and I was like, oh, interesting, <laughs> you know, because it takes time, it does, you know, and much longer sometimes than what you, than what you expect. Mm. So there's a, um, there's a couple of things that spring to mind. There's this element of um, this idea of uh, vitamins and painkillers when it comes to products mm. and how um, for a customer, if, they, if they're able to understand the pain point clearly and connect that with your product, then it's an easier journey. Um, when, but when it's a vitamin uh, and it's something I'm trying to understand, I've been trying to work out how best to uh, describe the idea of a vitamin product in a way that, that makes most sense to me. But it's, it feels like there's a future game a lot of the time. With a painkiller, there's a present game. Mm-hmm. With a vitamin product, there's a future game. Uh, and I, I, my assumption is most people are focused on, on the present and what's happening now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the reasons why we're very, very bad sometimes at our own fitness and our own health, because it's creating habits that are difficult now for us to then reap the rewards in the future. With something, uh, with the, as I understand the offerings that you had, it was very much a, this is something that will create much more gain in the future. Uh, it wasn't something that is like a silver bullet that suddenly changes everything right now. And so that was it sounded like the challenge with then trying to convert people into paying customers. Is that fair? Yeah, totally. You know, I think there is also another layer to that and that's the challenging to measure results, Mm. you know, because um, for some services and products you can measure like, I don't know. um, There are some, some products where you can just, say you can save x amount of money if you use this service or you can save x amount of money um, of time if you use this other service in my uh, with my offerings um whenever i talk to people and i try to get to get like feedback uh in terms of how my service helped or in the beginning like uh, trying to understand Um, Because, of course, there were other people around the world who created food programs or food experiences like events. And you talk to them and you ask them, so what has changed? How can you measure what has changed? And like 99% of people were like, oh, you know, the experience is uh, the, the atmosphere, the environment is so much better. We work better. We know each other better. There is a higher level of trust. Um, but you know, how do you measure trust, you know, in Mm. terms of like, uh, figures and that's the thing, um, you know, the, the thing that our business world is so much more oriented on hard facts than soft facts, but those soft facts are super important too. And, and that's, you know, the, to think about culture, you have a company like Patagonia, for example. Lots of people want to work at Patagonia. Why? Because they've created like a really interesting product because they want to save the, uh, save the planet because they have a certain culture uh, which, allows, um, which allows people to 
go surfing, uh, you know, when the, because it's based on they being able to attract those kind of people because they know that those kind of people can create the right type of environment, the right type of business. Um, but, you know, how do you measure that? So that's the same, that's the same thing for me. And I think that's the same thing for many people who are in the coaching business, like mindfulness, you know, that it works, you know, that it's, um, makes things better. And I had some academic paper that could back up like my assumptions, but there weren't so many because it's so difficult to measure like the impact of having a good meal with someone. You know, you wouldn't ask like your, your wife. So how do you, how would you measure the lunch we had the other day with our kids? And she was like, what? <laughs> how do you measure that? But it was a great experience. And you, re you remember it like for years. Isn't that a good, you know, a good way to measure something? It's just a different way. It's more like of a qualitative rather than quantitative. But thing is, obviously, you know, especially in the, in the online world, in the online business world, you want people want like facts. They want um, percents. They want like specific things that they can use to to measure. And so, obviously, that's that's a challenge. And um, there are different ways of going around that. Like, for example, through testimonials, getting people talking about that. Um, but yeah, there are certain services that are more challenging to sell than others. Um, I think the thing that springs up to mind or springs to mind when you're talking about this idea, the way, well, this idea of return on investment, how do I measure return on investment? Uh, and it's all about value. You know, where is the value in, in, in spending this money in, in uh, and it sounds like with with services and products like yours, or you even mentioned coaching and, and that kind of relationship based mm -hmm. uh, product, it's a it's as much uh, it's as important not only to demonstrate some kind of measurable value, but also to create some level of values alignment. Yeah. So if you are selling to a customer who is purely dictated by numbers and uh, very solid financial metrics, then that's the lens that they will look at the world through and they will look at everyone's products through. While if you have another organization that looks, through, looks at the world through the lens of uh, hum human mm -hmm. relationships and uh, those more human qualities that we feel, um, then they will look at our products and services in a different way and they will mm -hmm. potentially even put more value on them because it aligns much more with what they want to create within their businesses. Yeah. And so I think there's that aspect of not only educating people in terms of the value that you can create through what you do, uh, but also it sounds like an awareness of a clear uh, target audience, the kinds mm -hmm. of people that you really want to work with and talk to. Uh, I, I've met many purpose-driven entrepreneurs who, who, take the role of evangelists and trying to convert the masses 
everyone must do this because this is the way that the world should work. And that takes a lot of time and energy. <laughs> and also can, can suck away your enthusiasm when, like you say, you hear so many no's. Yeah. And I think that's why it's really, you know, I really love how you, um, you use the right words, like <laughs> better words than I did, you know, to describe this whole idea of return on investment and, um, but like values alignment, um, which I think, you know, that was, that was why Patagonia is a great example. And I also have like several other companies that are more like human based. Obviously it's important, you know, profit and purpose. I think they should be going uh, like next to one another. Um, and I think, you know, when I decided to make that shift, and I didn't really have a clear idea of who I wanted, who I had to talk to. Um, but I, I figured out that I couldn't talk to everyone because not everyone was at the, at the same um, awareness level. It's the same thing like with consumers, like there are the, those early adapters and then you have uh, the masses and someone who comes very late when the early adapters are already on to something else. Um, but, and, you know, and the thing with me being in general quite of an early adapter, sometimes I didn't, I was a bit blind. I, I thought that people were all like where I was. Uh, and so I had like some people who at some point told me like, hey, you know, you need to see things in perspective. Not everyone is where you are. You need to understand who are those people, who are those companies that are willing to um to welcome you into their, their companies, like to do that type of work. And so I think it's also like important for entrepreneurs to understand their target group. When you, when you know who you're talking to, everything becomes easier from marketing to communication because you are reaching the right, the person who is open and willing to, um, to get your message. And so you can see that in stages, like, you know, as you said, purpose-driven entrepreneurs who want to convert everyone. Um, I don't think it's how it works, right? Like you, you find your peers, um, you start with those companies who are more open-minded, then others will come, not everyone. And not everyone buys, not everyone buys Patagonia. For some people, it's way too expensive. It doesn't matter. You just need, who was was Seth Godin who said you need 1,000 people? And oh, 1,000 true fans. Yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> you know, so I don't think you need 1,000. Like, it depends really on the type of industry and business uh, you're in. Sometimes it's just enough to start with three uh, to really get your idea out there. And then find people who are... Um, are willing to help you and share your message um, and help you you know along the way in different in different ways and that's also something that I've learned like in the beginning I thought I knew I knew everything and I was I, I think in a way and I wanted to do everything by myself you know I'm just um, and then over the years, things change, changed and I started doubting myself. I also had to overcome, you know, some visibility issues. And um, so it was also a personal journey. But the thing is really like when you are looking for your niche, your people, you also need to be really humble and reach out to people and ask them and be willing to get feedback. 
and and obviously like sometimes it really hurts because what you've taught in your mind like for a long time all of a sudden no one's no one no one buys that um, and so you need to change and you need to adapt to adapt and be flexible and and just change your services or parts of your business so it's a constant evolution it's not that like in terms of pivots there are pivots but we are changing i think every day anyway so that's how i see it no that's that's fantastic i um I like the way we've gone on to this idea of, of change. Um, and also when you touched on this idea of how many customers do you need, it, for me, it, it comes down to the idea of what does success look like to you? Uh, is success scale and global domination or is it something else? And I think um, it can be, scale and global domination as long as you know that's really what you want and part of the core of that which i think you're touching on now is understanding yourself mm-hmm. and understanding your your limiting beliefs possibilities for more growth and places where you're happy and accept where you are um and i'm and this is the the part of the journey I don't, I don't believe enough people talk about because like what you said earlier about return on investment, when people go into business, they're so focused on the very clear, tangible, measurable uh, definitions or metrics of success. And because the human growth aspect is so hard to define and, and to, and there's no linear set of progress it doesn't and it's it's sometimes slow slow quick quick slow 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 it's changed um it's harder to to appreciate the the need to always be growing and changing and understanding that that's what's happening and understanding yourself so i'd love to find out more about the those aspects that you've experienced in terms of your own personal awareness and and what that's meant in terms of the the kind of work that you want to do and and the you know old definitions of success and new definitions of success maybe that's a place to start yeah um i think you know i never had a proper definition of success and in many ways um what i was able to achieve with with this first business um went beyond my expectations when i started i just started um there was a lot of naivety into into it like for many entrepreneurs when they when they start um and over like during the first year i started um public speaking that was never you know in my radar especially like public speaking in english which is my second third language so it was already something you know amazing um for me and also the idea of um running an international business since the start that was something that i never planned it just you know obviously uh, by taking some steps i went in that direction but it wasn't really intentional uh, for me even though i wanted it i don't know how to say like i wanted it but it wasn't so conscious for me um and from the outside i know that for uh, many um, 
by many people's standard, I had a really successful business. I made a name for myself in that industry. Um, of course, like there has been failures and successes, like mistakes along the way, it's just, I think, very normal. Um, but what, what led me to, to um, decide and really, you know, end this project um, was that I was looking for something more. Um, in that blog post that I shared, I talked about wearing a dress that was two sizes too small. And um, I think that was really the feeling. At some point I tried so many different, you know, directions. And then uh, obviously with COVID, all of a sudden, you know, I, I couldn't work anymore, like in the physical realm in the workplace. And no one knew when people would return to work and the conditions in which they would return to work. And um, I was asked like, to talk about, about trends in the future and so on. But at that moment, I thought, this is just the right moment for me to actually end this beautiful project and that just move on to something else. Um, and something that I was really missing as well, that I was trying to find a space within WeFactory was to work with other entrepreneurs and share my personal experience. Uh, with that business, it was always connected to my experience within the workplace or within like connected to food and eating together. But there were so many other things that I've experienced um, along the way that I couldn't talk to uh, because they were that there wasn't the right the right format or the right place to do that. Um, and I realized that talking about those things, like sharing um, some limiting beliefs or sharing the journey, like my, my journey into personal growth or what I shared just recently about um, the approach I want to take into like the next phase of my career, um, felt so much like less, they weren't, it's the right word, effortless. Like they, they really felt like effortless. While before, sometimes, you know, there was a lack of flow uh, and energy. I made a commitment to show up um, with my newsletter, with my podcast. But sometimes it was like, oh, so it takes so much out of myself, you know, to sit down and edit my podcast and interview people. I didn't, I didn't feel that there was a flow or that it was so um, easy. And I it was really... At some point, I was really envious when I noticed that other people, other business owners, entrepreneurs, were doing like lives or presentations or whatever, like, and they could talk about their personal experience. And I thought they had a, such an easy time. And I wonder why, you know, I went down that, that rabbit hole and got myself into something that was so challenging at times, you know. Um, so that was what led me to decide to end it. Even though, as I said, like in the beginning, I still want to explore part of it. So the podcast is still um, alive. I will just, I will shift the, the focus um, a little bit to, to have more like holistic approach. Um, and also to be able to focus on the individual. So that's something that I want to change as well. Like not just work in, uh, in the B2B industry and um, work with big companies, but be able to work with individuals too. Because um, my experience was that it takes less time uh, to, you know, the whole process of deciding of like 
proposing your service and then going to the decision, closing the deal and so on. It's very different. Um, so that's also like something that I want that I want to that I want to change. And one thing, one another thing that I um, that I think, well, that I want to um, say and uh, that I think I've learned was how you know then not very much in the beginning, but somewhat through halfway through, I listened a lot to what other people said. And the, the suggestions that I got and tips um, I got during that time was that I needed to grow and that I needed to create that kind of agency, that I had to hire people, that I had to show that I was bigger than I was, you know, because you would be considered much more trustworthy. You would be, you know, attract bigger clients. And I think that was a huge, you know, mistake because I listened to what they, their idea of success their idea of showing up to the world. And so I had this like refactoring, this delay agency, a huge mess, you know, because I didn't know how to talk, like how to communicate. It was very disaligned to who I was. And so a big, a big like relief was letting go of that brand. You know, even though uh, in the late part of it, I just talked as Veronica Fossa, the founder of M. But I think now I really want to be just myself and use my own name and do several different like projects where I could embrace all my passions and not just be that and um, want to grow something that's not what I want at the moment. Hmm. Um, I get this, well, this sense of just being more authentic about the business and authentic not in the sense of you weren't being honest but more in terms of um this is the structure that works best for me not having to be bigger than you that whole thing look bigger than you are why can't we just be us <laughs> and be trusted for the integrity that we have as human beings not because we have a certification or we we have x number of employees and we have x number of offices across the world i think that whole ego-driven aspect of business can be a a real burden for people yeah trying, uh, to find flow in their work um, totally because they're always trying to be someone else um you know i think it's a it's a, um, uh, an example like in many websites where there is one person behind that business and there is this we do this, we do that other thing. <laughs> it's just, you know, in Latin, you have the uh, plural majestatis, but, you know, why can't you just say I? And that's, that's some kind of, like, heritage, something that um, it's a result of an era that doesn't, that doesn't exist anymore, but where there is still, like, we still bring that on. It's something we learn, like, in business school and so outdated. And still, like, when you visit those websites, you want to know, so who is the person? Sometimes there isn't even a picture. Or they, like, everything written in we form. And it's just, yeah, it doesn't make sense. and makes things way too complicated. It's a real bugbear of mine. And, <laughs> and just, yeah, I just, it must be really hard to write that way. Unless you're the queen, where there's the royal we. And that's how they... <laughs> talk about themselves anyway but still yeah. as a normal human being have to always put yourself in the plural and, totally. and how you can speak in the plural and speak authentically 
because when you say we, well, well it's me. <laughs> I believe this. You know, isn't that funny that we take courses to learn how to write more authentically and how to write with our own voice? Yes, exactly. <laughs> but, and I think this is, it plays into that. That's an interesting point, though. I think the, the idea of writing with our own voices, I think it's also connected to sometimes we don't know who we really are because we've created these identities or we follow these paths uh, that have been carved out by other people. Um, and what I hear from, from your story and what are your, where you are at the moment is really embracing and exploring. Or, and it sounds like you've done that self-exploration work. And, and as I understand, it's an ongoing piece. It never ends. Mm-hmm. But really embracing that and, and looking at, okay, how do I bring more of that out into the work that I do rather than compartmentalize it because that's not the professional me. The professional me is somewhere else or something else. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think this leads to this idea of like um, when you're doing this journey inwards, you never know what you'll find because it's, it's so, I think, hidden in the mystery of our past. And how that also now links to this idea of this mystery of the future mm. and this more emergent approach, accepting that there's no linear path to where I'm going to be next. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to follow a strategy that appreciates that emergent approach. And this is where I'm hearing this idea of a design thinking mm. approach to, to designing your life. And so maybe finishing off on... Uh, maybe sharing some of the things that you've learned and, and read about and also what challenges that also creates for someone who, you know, realistically, if they are going to do that, just to be aware that this is how it might affect you. <laughs> yeah, sure. I think, you know, I, uh, design thinking isn't really a new thing to me. Like I studied at university and I used it like I, I taught design thinking applied to the full experience. And it's funny how, you know, in other parts of my business, I never really thought about it. You know, I kept things in my mind and, uh, uh, instead of testing things out pretty quickly, I kept it, kept them there uh, without testing them. And, and this idea of like using design thinking and just, you know, um, and just approach life as a, um, as a research, as you, you know, as you have a, an assumption and you want to test it out. And so, for example, when you are, when we are shifting careers or when we are also wanting to pivot, for example, like our businesses, what's the, like the smallest thing that we can do in that moment to see whether that's going to work, not to, not only work, but also whether you are going to like that. Because we have so many assumptions like, oh, I will be great as an architect. I will be great as a, I don't know, as a chef. And then you try it out and then you see that's not what you expect. Um, like at some point when I lived in Helsinki, I, work, um, I worked as a cook. And, you know, everyone thinks that working as a cook is super creative and you are so cool. And then actually it's not super creative and it's not that cool <laughs> unless you are... Well, unless you get to a certain stage, like where things are pretty different. But um, the thing about that is that you want to test it out. And so instead of like thinking about uh, you want to change career, you might need a website. What's the minimum viable 
website that you can create. And that's the approach I'm having at the moment. Before that, I was like, oh, I need to come up with, like, I need to come up with the most polished, most beautiful website, most perfect website. What's perfect anyway, you know? And, um, and I think what I, a quote that I really like, a mantra that I really like by Marie Forleo is progress, not perfection. Because obviously in action, by moving, by taking action, you get the feedback that you need. And so you can always start with the minimum website and then integrate all the learning into, into that. Um, so obviously no one has an answer. Like we don't know really how the world is going to be in... Um, in a few months, in a year's time. But if we think about it, you know, it's not just COVID, it was always like that. No one can predict the future. You can obviously like take some steps in your career, in your business, but who tells you that tomorrow you're gonna be in the same condition or that all the projects will be fine. So there is always a level of risks, but not just for entrepreneurs, for everyone really, you know, even if you are um, an employee. So um, design thinking is really about, about testing and see what you like and then going like forward with that, uh, with that path and just seeing like approaching it, trying to see how you can approach the problem in different ways. So the book that I mentioned earlier, Designing Your Life, is really is like packed with examples of people who were, were unhappy in their daily jobs. And so they are looking at different options like, if I keep my job, what can I change in my life? And what I really like is the idea that you're not only looking at work, but you're looking at different aspects of your life. There is the uh, health aspect, love aspect. I think there is also like the spiritual uh, aspect of your life. And it's a combination of all of them. And as you said, I mean, it's a work in progress. So the going down the path of discovering who you are is not really set in stones. You have certain values today, maybe they change tomorrow. So I find it really hard to describe, you know, who you are. You have some beliefs that are really core beliefs and that describe you as a person for forever, like, you know, from when you were small, but also things change because you are shaped by your experiences and uh, every day, really. Um, and I would like to end with this image. And it was funny because at the beginning you referred to the, to the idea of the trunk or and grounding. And there was this other book that I'm reading um, these days. Um, it's called La Via della Leggerezza, which means the way to lightness by Italian doctor uh, Franco Berrino and uh, mindfulness author Daniel Lumera. And at some point you talk about this picture of the tree and so the branches are our projects our family um, and the the leaves on on those branches are really seeing light they get inspirations ideas that can prosper a thrive and then there are those leaves that are they uh, fell down and they are by the base of the of the trunk right and we we those are the projects that didn't work that we often refer to as failures but those are also really important because they create that um they are some kind of a litter and they create the fertile ground to grow and to really like 
just by having the fallen the fallen tree the fallen um, leaves we can really grow and prosper so they are also really important and i think this picture was really beautiful because you can really see this beautiful tree that's made of both the branches looking for the light and the leaves that are there that make the ecosystem in the wood that's a lovely picture that's wonderful i got it i got that image in my head now already and how it's a self-nurturing process by creating trying things accepting that they fail this is the book la via della leggerezza fantastic exactly i highly recommend it you know wow. you can read italian so <laughs> I will, i've it's been yeah I was, it's quite interesting i was just filling in my linkedin profile today and uh because i have italian as a second language it then told me you need to fill in your description in italian i was like but it's because i haven't actually explored this work in a different language so thank you very much for that gift now i can start exploring how to use how to how to describe what i do in a different language Mm -hmm. so when i when i meet my cousins or my uncles and aunts and well they probably still won't understand what i do (laughs) (laughs) i can try you can use the picture of the tree, you know, I'm helping yeah. people like uh, looking at both branches and fallen tree, fallen yeah. leaves. <laughs> How to grow and, and, and nourish yourself through failure. <laughs> yeah, and be a great tree. <laughs> be a great tree. Oh, that was a lovely conversation, Rona. Thank you very much. And I think it really illustrated the different aspects of, of of this emergent process that is entrepreneurship, not this linear factory model of business. Thank you so much. It was, it's always great to, you're a great interview, interviewer. So it was great to reflect on my experience with you. Fantastic. Thank you for listening to the Happy Entrepreneur Podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Also, if you'd like to learn more about being a happy entrepreneur and want to connect with more people like you, then go to our website, thehappystartupschool.com, and subscribe to our newsletter. Amongst many other things about business and life, we'll help you answer the following questions. How can I serve others by being myself? And how can I discover who I really am by serving others?